going live. Welcome to the Texas Values Report. This is Jonathan Sines, president of Texas Values. Great to be with you on another glorious week in the state of Texas. Hey, I was out of the office last week. Hope you had a wonderful 4th of July, a wonderful Independence Day. I did. I might talk a little bit about that. Really some uh, great experiences that I had with fireworks, with family, and later in the week there were some s'mores involved. Okay, so I hope you had a great week. Uh, this is not a cultural show as far as about my personal life. We talk about the issues of faith family and freedom in the arenas of the courts, the legislature, and the media. If you're not familiar with Texas Values, check us out at txvalues.org. You can find out more about our work. We just celebrated 10-year anniversary at the end of last year, and I've been involved in this work for close to two decades. So statewide organization, and we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization if you care to donate. We've got a great guest today, though, and, and I always enjoy having guests on when something recent has happened on an issue that we care about, maybe we're involved in, maybe we're supporting in a variety of ways. And so, um, listen, if you want to keep track of the show, check us out on different podcast formats, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, you name it. If you're watching on YouTube, click that little button, that little bell, subscribe, so you can get these updates when we do new content. So as a matter of fact, I'm going to share this on my Facebook page. We ask you to do the same thing. If you're watching, put it into some groups, comments, some chats. And let's have a great conversation and get more people involved in it because we do have a, a great guest today and I wanna make sure I do a uh, proper in introduction of hers. I'm just having a little problem with my phone bringing up the Facebook feed. Um, are we good on your end? Okay, let me see here. Sometimes it's a little bit behind. All right, I'll check in just a minute. So. Stephanie Taub is going to be our guest today on the Texas Values Report. We're excited about having her. I think this is her first time on the show. She is senior counsel for First Liberty Institute. She's been working with them for quite some time before working with First Liberty Institute and joining their team, which is based here in Texas, and is led by Kelly Shackelford, who's a board member of Texas Values. Uh, Stephanie was clerked for Reed O'Connor, who is a federal judge in the Northern District. And we're familiar with that name because he's often involved in a lot of cases that we have an interest in. And usually uh, we like his rulings. And so, but it's always great to have new guests on the show. Stephanie, welcome to the Texas Values Report. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. You bet. Well, you, you and I have got to interact over the years. I think, you know, as I was saying, first time to have you on the show. Continue to admire the work that you do, the work that First Liberty Institute does, and, and having such a, a role. And you guys had a great month, right? A lot of really fantastic rulings and work you were involved in in June. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Groff case, maybe a little bit about the 303 creative case at the U.S. Supreme Court and some other things that are going on. So just a little bit of uh, background. Let's talk a little bit about your background, but also about First Liberty Institute. So I understand you are a graduate of USC. We may or may not talk about Texas football in that reign. Um, also, Harvard Law. I'm familiar with that school. Uh, like some people say, like it's hard. All right. I had to do that for my daughter. She's a big Legally Blonde fan. But you've done some great work before you got into uh, into the federal courts. Um, and then First Liberty. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you got involved in this work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, religious liberty battles, um, as I'm sure you know, they're one of the most important battles for freedom that we have right now. And just going 
growing up in California, going to Harvard Law School, you can see how this was becoming more and more of an issue where the government is threatening to invade so many areas that it's never been involved in before and tending to push religion out and creating more and more conflicts between governments and people of faith. And so this is one of the uh so one of the really big battlefronts right now is religious liberty in the marketplace. And that's what I'm focused on because we're seeing so many employees, so many people of faith who simply want to make a living for themselves, make a living for their family and provide. But more and more, they're being called to violate their faith on the job. And so this is why it's really important um, for this fight of religious liberty in the marketplace, that we are protecting the rights all Americans to not be forced to violate um, their religious beliefs on the job, not be forced to choose between your job and your faith. Well, look, and it continues to be important work, right? We're talking with Stephanie Taub. She is senior counsel for First Liberty Institute. First Liberty Institute is based here in Texas, in the North Texas area, but they are the largest nonprofit law firm across the country that gets involved and works on religious freedom cases led by our good friend, Kelly Shackelford, and, you know, Stephanie, a very active time this past term for the U.S. Supreme Court. Some really big rulings that came out of the U.S. Supreme Court. I remember 20 years ago, I'm going to hit 20 years in November uh, as being a licensed attorney and, and, um, and hitting that number, I guess, last month or so, the end of May when I graduated from the University of Houston in 2003. But I remember like yourself, wanting to work on these issues and religious liberty being under threats. And we still see some of those battles, Ten Commandment monuments, kids that can't pray over meals and some of those type of things. But we've seen it touch other areas and sometimes areas that have been litigated for years, yet we still have find ourselves having to go up to, to the Supreme Court with the facts that maybe are the same or very close. But it's important to do that. You've got different members of the Supreme Court that were maybe not there before, and we see these, uh, th this battlefield continue to be very active. And so this term was no different. Uh, huge victory towards the end of June. I want to have you talk about that primarily during our time together. The Gerald Groff case um, out of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, as I understand it, this case, this religious freedom case, lost at the trial level, lost at the uh, appellate level, Third Circuit, but you got the final victory at the U.S. Supreme Court. Tell us a little bit about that case and how things moved along and you ended up with victory. That's right. So this is an exceptionally important case for religious liberty in the marketplace. So it has to do with Gerald Groff. He was a mailman, a postal carrier with the United States Postal Service. And he came straight off the mission field and, want, and he wanted to find a job where he could uh, honor his convictions about the Sabbath. Um, he observed the Sunday Sabbath um, and still have a good career. And so he thought the post office was a perfect fit because they traditionally were closed on Sundays. Um, so it worked out very well for years. And then Amazon came along and the United States Postal Service had a contract with Amazon to start delivering on Sundays. Um, and so when this um, when this came around, Gerald Groff told him his employer about his religious convictions and was able to figure out a few ways to make it work. He transferred to a different post that hadn't started Sunday deliveries um, yet there. And then when they started delivering, um, he, asked, he found a way to have an accommodation for a little while, and then the post office took away that accommodation. And so this case, um, he basically had to choose between his job and his convictions about the Sabbath. 
And so then this case made it all the way up to the United States Supreme Court. And we get this unanimous victory that protects not only Gerald, but also um, employees of faith across the country. And I don't know if your listeners realize that this impacts them or impacts every workplace that has 15 or more employees. Yeah, no, this was a huge victory. And to your point, unanimous victory. Uh, The opinion was written by uh, Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito. I also noticed that my good friend Aaron Street was involved in this case, been a longtime volunteer attorney for First Liberty Institute. So I was so excited to see Aaron continue to be involved in some of this work. And I'm sure he had a big part of helping this case be represented well and, and get that wonderful victory at the U.S. Supreme Court. And, you know, I was reading, too, a little bit on the opinion. I, I pulled one of the quotes. Um, and actually, I'm going to uh, go ahead and share our Facebook feed here on um my feed here so people can see it. But I've got this quote that I pulled, and this is Samuel Alito um, talking about it. He talks about um, about a holding that, and, and this issue revolving around there not being more than a de minimis, de minimis cost, right, as far as the employer and whatever burden may or may not be on the employer if someone says, I can't work on Sunday, and how that's, you know, very strongly rooted in Title VII. We know there's been a lot of court cases that have dealt with this issue over time, but um, we think that it is enough to say that an employer must show that the burden of granting an accommodation would result in a substantial increase in relation to the conduct of its particular business, and the employer wasn't able to show that in this case. Um, Tell us a little bit about about what that legal language means and how long has this precedent really been there in one way or another that the Supreme Court says you can't be forced to work on Sunday for any reason? Yeah, yeah, that sounds a little technical, but it's it's actually not that complicated if, if you break it down. So Title VII is federal employment discrimination law. And one of the bases that you're not allowed to discriminate on is because of religion. You're not allowed to engage in religious discrimination against your employees. And a, one important protection there is that employers are required to provide religious accommodations for their employees unless doing so would cause, quote, undue hardship. So ascent, and so the Supreme Court holding is you have to grant religious accommodations to your employees unless doing so would create a substantial cost, um, which is giving a, a effect to the original meaning of the statute. So essentially, bef- what is a religious accommodation? So that means when there's a conflict between an employee's beliefs and the job requirements, then employers are required to make some sort of modification. So for example, shift changes. So if you observe the Sabbath on Sundays, you can work Saturdays and non-Sunday holidays and other other times. So shift changes are a common example of a kind of religious accommodation that employers might be required to make. Um, And so here, employers are required now to make those accommodations unless it would cause real substantial cost to their business. Um, So so it's a very, but previously employers, all they had to do was point to some sort of minimal burden uh, um, in order to justify denying these religious accommodations. So on the ground, this is going to empower workers who are facing these sorts of difficult dilemmas to be able to go to their employers and try to work out a, uh, a way to so a religious accommodation so that they won't be forced to violate their faith. Well, and 
you know, the courts have written about these things for many years, for decades, you know, and sometimes it depends on who's on the court. It shouldn't, but who's on the court, we can see these things shift and change. I know with the Coach Kennedy case, right, last year we saw a huge difference in how religious freedom cases of some type can be analyzed just because you had some different members on the court who I think they did the right thing. They really restored a standard that was in place before, but it, you know, sometimes you got to go back up there from cases that may be similar and emphasize that this is how these issues work. Work. And, you know, one of the things interesting about this, we're, talk, we're talking with Stephanie Taub, who is senior counsel at First Liberty Institute. You can find them at firstliberty.org. Is, you know, I think it's a lot of people probably see there's more business on Sunday than there was maybe 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago, right? There are more businesses operating. It's very rare maybe that you even see businesses are not operating on Sunday. And now you got the post office, right? For a long time, they didn't deliver mail on Sunday. They didn't deliver mail on Saturday, right? But so we're seeing, and so then now that creates maybe new facts or new circumstances where we've got to make sure that these religious freedom principles stay in place. And so, but huge victory. I haven't watched some of the videos yet of of Gerald, the, your client, what was that like for him? Oh, he was so thrilled. Um, it's been a long fight for Gerald. Um, and as most of these Supreme Court cases are, but he's just had such faith in God. It's really encouraging to see through all of this, through losing at the district court, then losing at the appellate court, and then finally getting this victory that goes way beyond just his own personal rights, but also for the rights of employees of faith across the country in a variety of different contexts. Um, so we were we were so honored to represent Gerald and really excited for him for this victory. Well, and look, you, you have to have courageous people like Gerald Groff. I mean, if, if you, the client is not willing to step forward and say, what's happened to me is not right, and I'm willing to go through this process, you're not in a position to do that. And sometimes that happens. It can be very difficult to go through these court cases. I know this case, I don't remember how long it lasted, four or five years. I mean, they can play out for a long time. Sometimes you you don't get up to the Supreme Court the first time, or that's not when it's dealt with. We know that happened when the Coach Kennedy case, back and forth. We've seen it in other cases. And so it is tremendous to see people like him that have the courage to do that, the faithfulness, and then team up with First Liberty so great work can be done on these issues. Another great uh, case that came out was a 303 uh, creative case, a U.S. Supreme Court case dealing with religious freedom. I want to let you talk about that, too. I know First Liberty Institute uh, submitted an amicus brief on this case, but huge victory. Not unanimous, not a surprise on that, but still 6-3. Uh, um, and still really an important victory because this is an area, too, that we see play out. Tell us a little bit about that case and why it was important for you all to get involved. Absolutely. So this is a free speech case. And First Liberty has been fighting on behalf of Aaron and Melissa Klein, who are the owners of Sweet Cakes by Melissa, which was a small family-owned bakery in Oregon. And this case may sound familiar to all about 10 years ago. Um some clients came in and asked for the clients to create a custom wedding cake for a same-sex wedding. And the clients politely responded that they couldn't do that consistent with their values. And so this 303 creative case is very, very similar. Um, it involves a wedding or a website designer that um, didn't want to create custom weddings for um, same-sex couples because of her religious views about marriage, about what marriage is. Um, and so the Supreme Court's opinion was a really 
pro-free speech opinion, really strongly written um, opinion um, that held that no no one, no American, no creative professional, regardless of your perspective, should be forced by the government to send a message um, that goes against what they believe in. And so this will apply not only to people of faith, but to everyone, left, right, center, um, from being forced to send messages uh, that, that go against your beliefs. Well, we know this is an issue that's very active, right? We see people... Uh, for a variety of reasons, but in particular this case, people that are involved either politically or one way or another in LGBT issues, a lot more uh, lately on the transgender issues where they're trying to force people to support particular messages. And sometimes people don't understand that. They're like, okay, you have the freedom to speak, but there's also that freedom there that says the government can't force you to carry certain messages or support certain messages. In this case, uh, it related to a wedding website and what that content would look like. But I think everyone, well, you'd hope everyone would agree with the principle that business owners should not be forced by the government, individuals, business owners and others by the government to carry a message or support a message. We can, there's so all different scenarios where this would be a real concern for a variety of different people for good reason. And so great victory, not unanimous. Some people were asking me, they thought it was sort of significant that um, Chief Justice John Roberts was a part of this decision. I mean, you know, I don't know if it was surprising or not, certainly maybe notable, but great to see that 6-3 there and um, you know maybe give it a little bit more strength, but important to get that resolved too. And I think this is something that we're going to see play out at the state levels. I know you guys have a survey on that, and uh, I think you know both of these cases could allow Texas, you know, if there's some gaps there, to tighten up our laws. I know not just in Texas, but across the country, that could be important. Yeah, absolutely. So most, when you're talking about employment discrimination law, most states have their own version of the federal law. And so Texas is free to be more protective of religious employees than the federal law. So that's something that we would definitely encourage policy groups like Texas Values doing the great work that you all do um, to, take, to take a look at instances like that, to where, where can we make sure that we're protecting um, employees of faith in the workplace? No, I agree 100%. We just concluded our legislative session, regular session, but there's a special session going on now, and there's rumors, well, they're pretty much confirmed that Governor Abbott's going to call another special session. We expect that to be focused on the school choice issue, education issues, but we shall see. A lot of time, the governor will add other items when they do have a special session. But... Um, Opportunities there for Texas to take a look at these things moving forward, other states. And part of that is because you have cities like Houston, Dallas, and Austin. They'll try to create their own laws on these issues and really try to usurp what the state has done or thumb their nose, if you will, at the Supreme Court and other courts. And we can't let those things stand. So, but Stephanie, you are doing great work at First Liberty Institute. Really appreciate you coming on today. Love the, I mean, the victories, right? It, it always is important to win, but not just for the individual clients, but the impact it can have in our state and around the country. And so tell my good friend and colleague, my mentor, Kelly Shackelford, that I said hello and uh, and really appreciate all the things and great th work that y'all are doing. And we're so glad that Stephanie Taub was our guest today on the Texas Values Report. Thanks, Stephanie. Thank you. All right, I got just a little bit time left to um, wrap things up. If you're having trouble with the Facebook feed, if you can't see it, send us an email and let us know. For some reason, I'm not seeing it on my phone. Maybe y'all are, and I hope you are, because uh, we're having a lot of fun in the studio. All right. We'll get that sorted out if it's not working and you didn't see it on Facebook, and we apologize for that. So, look, 
it is the summertime. Are we slowing down a little bit? I mean, barely, I guess. Um, I would say it's not as crazy it was during the legislative session, but our work uh, has not slowed down all that much. You can't see him, but in the studio with me is an intern of ours that's doing a lot of work for us this summer. And we've got another one, too, two actually, two other interns that are doing work for this summer. Um, one at the undergraduate level and two at the law school level. That might be something you want to think about next summer, get prepared for that now or next legislative session. And, you know, we have interns throughout the year, um, not always, but but we'll accept them. It's usually during the summer and during the legislative session. But if you're interested, let us know. But we've got some great work that we're doing. We've got a great event coming up, all right? So on September 15th and 16th, the uh, Texas Faith, Family, and Freedom Forum is coming up. This is the largest nonprofit Christian law and policy educational event in the state of Texas. Some amazing speakers. My good friend, Abby Johnson, you know all about her work on the pro-life issue. She continues to do great work. She's got an awesome podcast, too, if you're not familiar with that. She's been doing it for a couple of years. She's going to be one of our keynote speakers, one of our featured speakers. This is on September 15th and 16th in Austin, Texas at Great Hills Baptist Church, where we've had the event for, I think, the past four years years in a row. Check out our website, txvalues.org. My good friend, I think I can call her a friend now. We've been spending so much time together. Riley Gaines, all right, female athlete, all-American swimmer, leading the Save Women sports issue. She's going to be there, okay? Um, don't. I mean, she spoke at several of our events, and they all sold out. Every time she's there, man, we get quite a crowd. So um, make sure you come out here. And you know what's interesting is Riley spoke at this event last year, and there was some interest in her, but man, it's gone through the roof since then. And we're so excited to continue that friendship and partnership, if, uh, if you will, with her on the Save Women's Sports issue. Because even though we passed a state law that's for K through 12 and for the collegiate level, this issue isn't over. I am you know, certain in some ways that the other side is either going to file a lawsuit or they're going to make it difficult to enforce these laws. I'm sure some colleges are going to try to push back. We'll see on September 1st when these laws go into effect. But the commentary continues because other states are trying to deal with this too. They're trying to pass law. And I don't know if you saw what happened. But apparently, Megan Rapinoe, who, you know, a soccer player for the U.S. women's team, and I think, you know, she's made a lot of political comments, very liberal, and uh, apparently she's retiring from now being on the U.S. women's national soccer team. But she had some parting shots, too, about, you know, her support for transgender athletes and, and really misleading people, acting like, you know, transgender folks aren't going to be able to play sports. We know that's not true. There are two categories. They can um, deal with that issue, and that's dealt with based on what's on a birth certificate. And so, But uh, Riley Gaines didn't agree with it, and she basically challenged her to a debate. Let's go on the, you know, let's go on the news together. Let's get on a show, and let's talk about it. And you know what? Uh, Riley Gaines is just as much of, if not higher level, world-class athlete as well. And so I think this could be really interesting. We'll see if Megan Rapinoe responds to that. But you know what's interesting about that? You have two women talking about this issue, right? And so you have a woman who has all the credibility in the world, Riley Gaines. I don't think that was the case two or three years ago. Maybe you saw some of it, but not with someone that now at least is so well known and nationally known. 
And, um, and so that helps these issues so much more because we know women have been concerned about this, but they've been afraid to talk about it. They've been afraid of getting canceled. If you've seen some of our videos on SaveWomenSportsTexas.com, you know even Riley Gaines and some of the athletes that had to swim against Leah Thomas, Will Thomas from right here in Central Texas from Westlake High School, this man that competed in the women's division at the collegiate level in swimming. Those athletes that were concerned about that were told you could lose your scholarship, you could be kicked out of school, a lot of threats and a lot of intimidation. But Riley has pushed through that, and it's made a huge difference. We have to have this conversation. We need to have this conversation. And it touches on a lot of other things other than just sports. So we'll see what happens on that. But that's why you want to come to our event, September 15th and 16th, the Texas Values Faith, Family, and Freedom Forum. It's pretty inexpensive, okay? This is not a fundraising event. We're just trying to cover our costs. But Riley Gaines will be there. Abby Johnson, the authors of the Save Women Sports Bill, Representative Valerie Swanson, Senator Mays Middleton. We've also got two Supreme Court justices, Jimmy Blacklock, and also our good friend, Justice John Devine. And so check that out. It'll be here before you know it. Okay, September's coming up. And by the way, I mentioned earlier, I did have a great 4th of July. Got to see some fireworks. Uh, got to get out on the Comal River. I have not floated on that river in years. Got to take the kids out there uh, for their first trip for that. A lot of fun and spend time with family and you know got to see some good people sort of on the trail got to walk in a parade my son's on a baseball team and they walked in the round rock um fourth uh, of july parade man that is some parade all right i had not been to that i live pretty close to that area round rock is doing it right i mean that was quite the crowd there and and a wonderful parade for i mean it's a big city but a smaller city in scale to some other big cities in the state of texas so great job round rock and all the people that came out there to to do that work listen if you see value in our work please consider a donation to some of the work we're doing. And there's some local battles still going on. Taylor, Texas, all right? You know, we're trying to enforce Senate Bill 12. That goes into effect soon. This bans drag queens from doing sexual performances and having these performances in front of kids. That's exactly what the mayor in Taylor, the city of Taylor, and many of their city council members want. They're going to have a lot of problems with this when Senate Bill 12 goes into effect. They want to have a Christmas parade like they did last year where the drag queens have these prominent roles rolling right down Main Street as kids are trying to celebrate Christmas. They're going to have drag queens performing in a sexual way. This law says you can't do that. We're pushing back against them. We want, we're trying to get some documents for transparency. So we've got a Public Information Act request that's out to them. We got a response from the city. 700 pages of documents. That's how many times they've been talking about the drag queen issue behind the scenes. So we'll get those soon and find out. But big victory in Fort Worth. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Fox News is covering that issue about the uh, issue re revolving around the, the boys' choir and the girls' choir. Check that out. We posted that on our social media channels. Also, we got some big updates on the work we're doing for church outreach. The Texas Values Church Ambassador Network of Texas has some big updates on that, including a job opening. So you want to check out that and some of the highlights of all the work we did and all the elected officials that our team prayed for during the legislative session. So you can find all that on txvalues.org and see more about the work we're doing. Tell your family and friends friends about all we're doing and that's how together we'll protect faith, family and freedom in Texas. And we'll talk to you next week on the Texas Values Report.